here in a series called Sticky Situations. We are talking about things as we go through this life that kind of stick to us, stuff that holds us back from really living for God the way that he intended. And so we talked the first week about fear and how often fear is the enemy of faith. And we talked last week about complaining and how just having a complaining heart can just mess up and complicate life. And so anyways, I hope you had like a good week in terms of not complaining, I guess. And and today we're going to move on. We're going to talk about... uh, the idea of developing an appointment mentality toward God and to kind of get you thinking about what I mean by that. Um, let's think back years ago when I was in college. Um, for those of you who uh, moved out of the house, went away to college, you know, you kind of slice up your life. There's a lot of stuff that's involved there. And so this is kind of a little bit about what my life was like. It wasn't, I don't have every, everything drawn to proportion or anything. Just I had a bunch of different compartments of my life that made up my life. I had school, of course, which probably had to be the biggest one. But um, I had school and classes and study. Um, I lived on the dorm. So for those of you who have who've lived on a dorm at, at school, you know that's, that's like a big slice of your life. A lot of stuff going on there. Uh, I had some friendships uh, going on. Um, I had a job because I was paying my way through college, so I always had school, and I had a job, and I always worked in a local church doing ministry. That was a big part of my life. I had my disciplines, I mean basically my spiritual disciplines, uh, you know, reading my Bible, spending time in prayer, sharing my faith, that kind of stuff. And I had social life, which probably ought to be a super small part of my pie um, at that point in my life. But these are some of the things that made up my life. And um, this is what my life looked like my first year, my second year, my, my third year in college. Um, uh, I had some friends, and, um, and, and Christy was also uh, going to college there. And we had some mutual friends, and we didn't really know each other, but we knew each other's friends. And so sometimes we'd you know, have gatherings to do stuff, and she might be there, and I was there, not because we knew each other, but because of our, fr- uh, our friends who knew each other. And that kind of went on the first part of my junior year, and near the end of my junior year, kind of kind of met her, um, got to know her a little bit. Um, I was, again, a single guy, had a job, paying my way through college, so any way I could cut, you know, corners financially, I would. And, and she just kind of had a ministry heart, and so she knew how to cut hair, so she would cut hair for guys on campus and do it for free. And so, you know, I thought, that's a sweet deal. I can get, like, this really cute girl to cut my hair. Uh, I had hair. Um, she would cut my hair for free, and so I'd always go, and, you know, I could use a haircut. And I, actually, looking back, maybe that's what happened, because I had her cut my hair a lot, as much as I possibly could. Uh, but it was always kind of nice to have her running her fingers through my hair, and we'd talk, you know. And I kind of thought, hey, she's kind of neat. I got, I got to know her a little bit. And so we moved to this place where she wasn't just a friend anymore, but she got kind of a little slice of the pie. And that happened when I asked her out my senior year. So she kind of broke away from being a, in my group of friends to being somebody who was, who was special. And we'd, in my senior year, we'd, you know, go out on a date or two, and then we wouldn't date for a couple months, and then we'd go out on a date or two. And, and uh, that's kind of how it went that, that senior year. And then, um, and then I moved up to the Northwest to go to seminary, and she moved uh, back. She moved home um, we met in Arizona. Uh, she's from Milwaukee, Oregon. She moved back. She was going to college there. And 
um, we started dating real seriously. And during that time, um, she kind of, you know, I gave her a bigger slice of, of the Bob pie, you know, so she kind of had in it because I was just crazy for her. And so I was looking for ways to make more and more space. But still, I mean, you know how it is. I have my compartments in life. I had school and I had my friends and my job and I was working in a church. And then there was Christy. And, and then I remember like thinking at one point in our relationship, you know, I'd really like her to be more, but I, I have to have a job. I can't just keep giving her bigger slices of the pie, right? Because I got I to gotta have a job and I got to do some other stuff. And so I had this idea like there's a, a new paradigm I thought of. And that was I wouldn't give her a slice of my life anymore. I would just like involve her. I, I, so what I did is I integrated her into my life. We, I called that marriage. I asked her to marry me and she said yes and we got married. And so now suddenly she wasn't a part of my life. She was involved in all of my life. So I didn't just want, I didn't want my wife and school and work. I wanted her to be a part of my school experience and I wanted her to be a part of my ministry and I wanted her to be a part. So I just kind of, I integrated her in. So she moved from being a part of my life to being engaged or integrated into my entire life. One of the best moves I ever made. And, and I want to talk today about this whole appointment or compartment mentality and how we can develop that when it comes to our relationship with God. In Psalm 84.10, the psalmist says this, and, and this is a, a verse I've been thinking a lot about over the last few months. The psalmist says, better is one day, he's talking to God, better is one day in your courts than a thousand Elsewhere, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. So first of all, just a little context. In the Old Testament, when you see the phrase in the courts or whenever someone's talking about being in the courts of God, um, in the Old Testament, they had a temple. And the temple was where God would go to dwell. And outside, and, and only the priests could go inside the temple. But around the temple were, were, was a courtyard that was walled off. And so average people could come and, and they could go through the fr- threshold and go into the, the court area. So whenever someone talks about being in the courts of, uh, uh, of the Lord or the temple, what they're talking about is being in the presence of God. That's what the whole point was. I'll go to the temple and I'll go into the court area and that's where God dwells. And so I can be in the presence of God. So what he says is really, better is one day in the presence of God than a thousand elsewhere. So that, that's a pretty huge statement. Think about that. Hey, he's saying better is one full day in the presence of God than a thousand days in Hawaii. Right? I mean, that's a pretty big trade-off. Uh, better than a thousand days of vacation. Better than a, a thousand days of whatever you like to do. Camping out, shopping at your favorite places, going to Disneyland. He says better is one day in the presence, in the presence of God than a thousand days anywhere else. In fact, he kind of, I love what he does here. He says, let me tell you how great the presence of God is. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. A doorkeeper was the lowest possible job that you could have. A doorkeeper would just stand at the threshold of, of going into the courts of God. He would just stand there. So he wouldn't even actually go into the courtyard. He would stand at the threshold. And kind of what he's saying is, I'd rather be at the door of the presence of God. I'd rather have the lowest paying job, the most menial job in the temple. I'd rather sleep in a sleeping bag 
and be at the, at, at the, at the door of, of the, the, the court area for one day than to spend a thousand. When he talks about the tents of the wicked, the idea is they would think of the wicked as being people who because of their wickedness and their unethical behavior would often make lots and lots of money and live in very well-apportioned houses, huge houses. And he says, I would rather sleep in a sleeping bag at right at the threshold of the presence of God than be anywhere, including a thousand days in a really, really nice place. Now, of course, part of the problem is that most people just don't believe this. They just don't, they don't believe that better is a day in the presence of God than a thousand anywhere else. And I can look back, I can tell you that before I was a Christian, I didn't believe this. I mean, I, I grew up in an area that was, um, where there was a lot of Catholicism. So a lot of my friends would go to um, Our Lady of Guadalupe on, on Sunday morning and, and they would worship there. And most of my friends didn't like it and I didn't go to church. And I can remember thinking, why in the world would someone uh, voluntarily get up early on Sunday morning when they could sleep in and go to church and, and be part of a boring, uh, you know, worship service? And, and why would they have to follow rules and let someone tell them how to live and read the Bible and, you know, these and thous and pray. And instead of sleeping in and getting up at your leisure and having a bowl of Lucky Charms while you watch cartoons for three hours and no one telling you what to do and no rules and, you know, I could do whatever I wanted and no one telling me to stop sinning because I didn't think that better was a day in the presence of God than a thousand anywhere else. Which kind of begs the question, why is a day in the presence of God better than a thousand days anywhere, anywhere else. Why is that? And I would say, you know, well, hmm, maybe because it's with God. You know, I mean, that's kind of the obvious answer. Uh, I don't know, because you're in the presence of the almighty, eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, immutable God. I mean, think about that for a moment. That'd be a pretty great day, wouldn't it? To be in the presence of God. Now, Whenever they talk about being in the presence of God, Scripture assumes there are certain things that are going on there. So let me just review a few of those. Like, what does it mean to be in the presence of God? That's talking about being connected to God in an, in an intimate way. So to be in the presence of God means, for instance, that I am in the forgiveness of God. So that means to be in the presence of God, that means that I'm acceptable to God because of what Jesus has done. So that means when I'm, when I'm with God, when I, I don't have to feel guilty because Jesus is taking care of my sin. To be in the, in the presence of God means to be secure in God. I would use the word or the doctrine, we're eternally secure. To be in the presence of God means I don't have to worry that tomorrow I might sin, might, that tomorrow I might sin and that might separate me from God. Uh, I am eternally secure, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. So to be in the presence of God is to be secure in God. It means I have the power of God. So it means I I don't have to uh, be captive to my circumstances or to people who might want to do me harm. When I'm in the presence of God, I have the power of God at my disposal. It means when I'm in the presence of God, what defines me is the love of God. What other people say about me does not define me. What other people think about me does not define me. When I look in the mirror, I don't need to see what other people say and the critical things they say about me. I am loved by God. What I see when I'm in the presence of God is what God sees that I'm loved. It means that I have the joy of God and the peace of God that aren't, that aren't focused, that aren't anchored on circumstances because circumstances change. But the joy and peace of God does not. 
When I'm in the presence of God, I have the joy of God and the peace of God and the calling and the purpose of God. When I wake up in the morning, I wake up with a purpose. I wake up with a calling. I have the, I have the provision of God. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm never going to have hard times, that I'm never going to have trials, but in it all, what I have is God. So how do you have a day in the presence of God? How, how do you do that? Now, if you'd asked me years ago how you do that, I would have said, well, you get up in the morning and you say a prayer to God and you read your Bible for 10 minutes or 15 minutes. You, do your, you read your daily bread and then, you know, that's your, that's your spiritual way that you start the day and then you go into your day because you got your job and school and all that stuff. You start with God and then you get on with life. And because I really thought when I first became a Christian of my life as compartments, right? So I had like the God compartment and then I had school compartment and friends compartment and sports compartment you know, compartments, and God was just one slice of the pie. There was a spiritual compartment, and then there was, there was real life. But what God has designed for you is something entirely different, incredibly better than that. Uh, God has designed us so that we have a, an ongoing, unending awareness of his presence. He doesn't want to be a compartment. He doesn't want to be an appointment. God doesn't want to be an 8.30 in the morning or 6.30 in the morning or, or, or 11 o'clock on Sunday uh, morning appointment. He doesn't want to be that. And God says that we can experience him in a, in a way in which we are in his presence all day long so that we're not talking about appointments with God. We're talking about doing life with God. And one of the great things for those of us who live today as opposed to the Old Testament days is in the Old Testament, if you wanted to be in the presence of God, you had to go somewhere. You had to go to the temple. Today as Christians, the Bible says that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, so we don't have to go anywhere to be in the presence of God. God is with us, and we can be in his presence all the time. That's why it says in Colossians, and, and whatever you do, right? It's so not just when you're at the temple, but in whatever you do, in word or in deed, notice, do everything, 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 everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to do something in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ means to be connected following in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. So whatever you're doing, he says, we, we, you can, there's a way in which you can be driving your car in the presence of God. There's a way you can be driving not in the presence of God too, but there's a way you can drive in the presence of God. There's a way you can be at Costco in the presence of God. There's a way you can be texting in the presence of God, though not right now you can't. Um, there's a way you can be studying for a test, studying for a class in the presence of God. There's a way you can be exercising or mowing your lawn in the presence of God. So how do I do that? Like, how do I live life, not, not by making appointments with God, but living continually in the presence of God? So I say all that because what I'm about to suggest to you are three habits that can help take you from an appointment mentality to a, an ongoing presence kind of relationship with God. But sometimes when we talk about these, these habits or these disciplines, we hear them and we think, okay, he's just telling me these things, boxes I got to check off. Okay, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about something different. So here's the first one, the first habit that we can develop to be in, the, in a continual presence of God. And that is to have constant communication with God. I could have said prayer, but I thought this sounded way more spiritual. To have constant communication with God, which is what Paul has in mind in 1 Thessalonians when he says, be joyful always, which we talked a little bit about last week. And then he says in this, just two words, but pretty powerful. Pray continually, all right? Or in some of your translations, pray without ceasing. In unvarying practice. In other words, never stop. Never stop praying. Now, I know when I was a first, first a Christian, I thought, wow, how, wait a minute, how can you do that? Is he saying, get up in the morning and get on your knees and pray and, 
you know, don't go to school, don't go to work, just pray all day long. Now, here's what I learned really early on as a believer, okay? I'm kind of an ADD prayer, all right? So like, what I mean is this, I'll sit down and pray, I'll close my eyes, I'll bow my head, and I'll start praying. And I always have the best intentions, like I start praying, oh God, you know, just, uh, just worship you, and just, you know, be with me today, and I got this meeting, so help me with that, and I, oh, wait a minute, I forgot, tomorrow's trash day, I gotta take out trash, is it recycling? Every other week, it's recycling week, right? Because last week, I put out yard debris, that's right, Lord, so I'll put out, help me to not forget the recycling, and then, oh, wait a minute, I gotta go online and pay the bills today, and then I didn't get the oil changed, and then like 15 minutes later, does that ever happen to you? I'm like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, like, I think I was praying a while back and I didn't know where I lost track. Now, here's the thing. All right, so I know this probably sounds odd because as a pastor, part of what I'm paid to do is pray, right? So like, for instance, I have these mandatory meetings with staff in the morning where we get together for an hour and pray. I cannot tell you how, how awfully painful that is for me to do. It's like sitting for an hour and praying is so hard for me to do. But here's what I found. It's hard for me to, to make an appointment and to pray for an hour, but it's super easy for me to pray all day without ceasing. It's just all how you define prayer. Um, if prayer is getting on your knees until it hurts, then yeah, I have a hard time doing that. If prayer is just opening up a conversation with God and not saying amen as you go through your day, yeah, then I can do that. I find it easy to pray all day. So here's a little picture of what I'm talking about. So how many of you have a cell phone with you? How many? Raise your hand. You got your cell phone, all right? You got yourself. We, I know we have cell phones. Some of you don't have your hand up, but I know you have a cell phone because I've seen you with it, right? Um, so cell phones are like a great picture of what it means to pray without ceasing. So like I have, a, I have a cell phone. It used to be a smartphone. Now it's just kind of a dumb phone. It like, because I've got this contract with it. I pay uh, 25 bucks a month for unlimited everything. But my phone, and because I got this years ago, and as long as I have this phone, it's only going to be 25 bucks a month. The odd thing is it hardly does anything anymore, but I just refuse to give it up, you know, but I can make phone calls. It takes like 10 minutes to figure out how to do it, to make a phone call, but I can do it. And then I used to be able to text, text all the time, text people. Now, and, and now even today, I can still get texts all the time. In fact, at, it was at this point in the sermon, in the last service, that my daughter started texting me endlessly while I was talking. And I haven't said I'm vibrating. It was vibrating and vibrating. I didn't know it was her. Uh, but thank you, Abby. Love you. And um, so she was just, actually, all she was texting was ha, ha. Ha, ha, just like that is like, anyway, so we can text. Now, what's happened over the years is, for some reason, I, 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 can, te- I can get texts from everyone, but I can only return texts to a few people. Now, so if you text me and I don't text you back, it's nothing personal. Um, but I can still text my wife and I can still text my kids, even though I can hardly text anyone else. So, but I love texting because just all day long as I go through the day, I can text my wife, hey, how's school going? You know, did Victor punch anyone today yet? Uh, you know, what time, you know, you want to have dinner? You want to go out? What do you want to do? Text Abby, how's school going? How's that test? You know, how things going? Just, hey, you know, I love you. I'm thinking about you. How can I pray for you? So it's not like, you know, like great big eight paragraph conversations. It's short little texts of communication. I can get email on it, um, but the problem is when I get an email, it gives me an alert that I have an email. And then in order to check the, check the email, I have to take the back off, 
pull the battery out, count to 10, put the battery in, put the thing on, start it back up, and then I can read my email until I get another email, and then I have to do it all over again. So I stick with text most of the time. But here's what I love. What I love about texting is I can just stay, you know, in contact uh, with the people in my life that I really love, and just kind of short little bursts of, you know, how are you doing, and, you know, that kind of stuff. And that's really what I think about when I think about talking with God. Just kind of this, so for me, it works a little bit like this. Uh, when I wake up in the morning, I wake up, open my eyes, make sure everything's attached. I'm like, thank you, God. And uh, then I usually, like, before I get out of bed, I just worship God a little bit. And then I get up, and as I'm getting ready for my day, uh, now I kind of have this routine, but it works really well for me. I, I pray through the Lord's Prayer, just kind of filling in the gap. So, you know, I always start like, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's, that's all about worship. So the reason I do it is because if I didn't use the Lord's Prayer, all my prayer would just be like, gimme, 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 gimme. So I start with that, and then I, I worship God. God, thank you for, you know, sunrise, thank you for yesterday, thank you for my kids, and, you know, um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's about the will of God. So then I'll pray about God's will being done in my life today. God, I got some meetings, I want your will to be done, not mine. God, I'm going to spend some time with someone, I'm going to do some counseling, got to do some. So I start my day out that way, but when I get to the end of praying kind of through the Lord's Prayer, I'm usually ready to get in my car and go through my day, but I don't say amen. I don't do that. It's a practice. Get in my car. I'm driving down the road. I see something. Something happens. I just tell God, well, wasn't that cool? Wasn't that cute the way that guy just cut me off? Oh, God, just love him. He must be in a hurry. And I go through my day, heading into a meeting. You know what, God? I'm going into a meeting. I really care about this person. Uh, they think they're meeting with someone who has good advice for them. I'm not sure they are. So um, if you could just help me out there in the middle of a conversation, I'll talk to God just if I see something cool happen. So it's just this ongoing, this just little text all day long to God. And yeah, Sometimes I have kind of a big time of prayer, but it's not, I, I'm, I'm getting out of an appointment mentality. I don't make appointments to, to pray to God. I just have an ongoing communication with God. Now, a few suggestions for ongoing communication with God. First of all, and I don't know what would work for you, but I do pray better when I have a little structure. So like I said, I really enjoy the Lord's Prayer. In the morning, um, kind of helps me kind of walk through the different ways that we can pray. Um, and then I don't say amen as I go through my day. Uh, I don't tend to, rem- like people come up and share prayer requests with me. I don't remember them. So I carry my, I mean, I used to have a pad of paper. I carry my iPad now. And when somebody shares a request with me, I write it down. Um, if you share a request with me and I don't write it down, um, you better keep, just keep sharing it with me until I write it down. Uh, people text me on Facebook. I need prayer. Um, I write it down. I carry it with me everywhere I go. In our staff meetings, there's prayer. And I use that as I go through my day. So I like to have a list. And I also do enjoy getting together with other people and praying because there's something about that that's different than just praying alone. But the, but the goal here is that one of the ways we can have a day in the ongoing presence of God is just to have an ongoing communication with God. So that's one of, the, one of the habits. And the second one is to dwell on God's Word. So let me just explain this, what I mean for a moment. Notice I'm, I didn't say read God's Word. Uh, I didn't say listen to a sermon of God's Word. I'm focusing on the word dwell here for a reason. So We need to continually communicate with God, but we also need to hear from God. Um, And that's where his word comes in. Now, why do we need to hear from God? Well, because we live in a world full of lies and full of uh, foolish advice. And all day long, we're hearing like really bad spiritual advice. And the world is full of bad relational advice, um, bad financial advice, and ethical advice. And you could hear it on TV, hear it on the radio, and, and songs, and all that, right? So how do we know it's true? How do we know how to live? 
How do we know what the will of God is as we go through our day? Well, that's what God's word does for us. It makes us wise. It helps us to know what's true. It helps us know how to make decisions and, and, and what God's will is. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says this. He says to God, your word I have, and this is huge. He says, notice I have, I have what? I've treasured, right? So your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. So he says, God, I've treasured your word and I've treasured it in my heart. Now there's, a, there's some implications here. First of all, it means that he's been exposed to the word of God. So somewhere he, he studied the word of God or he heard the word of God or he read the word of God. But notice what he's saying. He's not saying, God, I make an appointment to hear your word of God. This is bigger than that. He says, it's not like, well, every, every, every morning for 15 minutes, I do my devotions. Uh, and then I'm done. I check that box. Once a week, I go to a sermon. Uh, I listen to it. I check that box. This is not an appointment for the psalmist. Um, in verse 97, he says this. Oh, how I love your law. And then he says, this is a great phrase. I meditate on it all day long. Now, you may read it and say, didn't this guy have a job? Didn't he have, you know, things to do? Did he just sit around all that? Yeah, he was a king. He had a lot of things to do, a lot of meetings, a lot of decisions. So what's he saying here? To meditate just means to ponder or to consider. So what he's saying is this. I don't, I don't, I don't make appointments with God, right? Yeah, I, I, I pray and yeah, I read his word, right? But when I read it, I'm not done. Once I read his word, it's like a constant on flipping the switch and for the rest of my day, I, I, I think about the scripture. What, what he would have meant in, implicit here is that he memorizes it. That's, that's part of what he would be saying because when the psalmist wouldn't have had a Bible. He couldn't go down to his, his store and buy a Bible today. He didn't have it on his phone or his iPad. So what he would have done is he would have heard the word and memorized a, a phrase or a part of the word and then all day long he would consider it. When he was in meetings, he'd consider, how does it relate to this meeting? When he had to make a decision, he'd be like, how does that relate? When he'd be, you know, uh, going for a run in the evening, he'd think about, you know, how does this word relate to my life? So all day long, he would just dwell, 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 dwell on the word of God. Now, one of the advantages we have as New Testament believers is that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And the Bible says that the, the Holy Spirit is able to take the word of God and he's able to, um, he's able to con- expand it in our hearts and, and explain it to us and, and help us relate it to our life so that as we're going through our day, the Spirit can be like, here's how the Word relates to that meeting you're going to have. And here's how the Word relates to, you know, to, to, to your husband or to your wife or to your kids or, or uh, when you're spending money or, or you're anxious. And here's what the Holy Spirit does. When we memorize Scripture and we have it in our head and suddenly we realize we're worried about something, then the Holy Spirit can bring it to mind. Passages like, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in, in Christ Jesus. Here's what's great about memorizing passages like that. Then when you're out driving down the road and you get anxious, you don't have to find your Bible or find your phone to, to read the verse. You already have it. And the Spirit brings it to mind. So here's a great thing, okay? We live in a day where we can think about God's Word all day long, right? Because we start with our Bibles, and we get into our Bibles and we can read the Word of God. Um, and, and then, so here's what I did when I was in bi- uh, high school and college. Um, we had this technology back then. It was cutting-edge technology called a 3 by 5 card. And so I, I, once a week, I would take out some 3 by 5 cards, and I would write down some verses, and then I would carry the cards with me all week long, and I would just memorize them. See, here's the great thing. Once you memorize a verse, 
and you get that verse into your head and your heart, it's yours. And whenever you're out in the world and you need it, God can bring it to your mind. Now, one of the great things, of course, back in the, the days of the Psalms, uh, they didn't have Bibles. If you wanted to hear the Word of God, you would go to the temple or you would go to synagogue. If you were a priest, you could open up the Word and read it. But if you weren't, you would have to ask a rabbi or a priest to read it for you. Of course, today we can go to a bookstore and buy a Bible, three or four or five translations of a Bible. And then we have all our devices. And many of you have your Bible on your phone. You have your Bible on your computer. You have it on your tablet, which is awesome because you can kind of take it wherever you go. So I was asking people this week, like, what are your favorite Bible apps? And um, I've jotted some of them down just in case you're looking for one. Um, the one that I think more people use than any uh, is uh, Uversion. Uh, it works on Android. It works on iOS. It works on your computers. It works on your laptop, on your iPad. Um, you can download uh, all sorts of versions of the Bible and, and read. You can have it with you wherever you go. You can have it read to you. Probably the most popular um, electronic uh, Bible that you can get out there. Um, a couple that I use, I use uh, one called Accordance. And um, I use it because it's a little deeper in terms of research, commentaries, Greek, Hebrew, that kind of stuff. Uh, I use it when I'm writing sermons. Actually, I use that, and I use another one called Lagos. Um, I, I, one of these works on all platforms. One of them, I think, only works on, on Mac right now, but they're coming out with a, uh, another version this year. But I like both of these. Um, they have free versions, but then they also have paid versions where you get lots of commentaries and word studies. And so I like those. And a- anywhere I go, I have it on my laptop. Um, it's a crazy thing now. I can go somewhere to study for the day, and I don't have to pack any books. But I'll have thousands and thousands of commentaries, references, word studies, all on my computer. Click on a word and look it up. And you can do that as well on your phone, um, on your devices. Um, here's one. I don't use this, but I know a lot of people that get the daily audio Bible podcast. So every day they download it on their computer or on their phone or on their iPad, and then they listen to it while they commute to work. And it's a reading of the Bible along with a little commentary. And I just really last minute, I put one more in your notes. It's called uh, Bible.is. I hadn't heard of it, but a lot of you use it and um, you can read Bible. You can listen. It'll, it'll read it for you as you're um, commuting. You can see videos on there. But the point of all this is uh, wrapped up in Colossians. It says this, that the word of Christ, notice, dwell in you richly. I love that. So I guess what I'd say is this, reading the Bible is a great start. Listening to the Bible is a great start. But the end game is to memorize scripture. So again, if you're like, yeah, but I'm not good at memorizing stuff. Yes, you are. We all memorize stuff all the time. And I would encourage you, whether it's putting it on your phone or putting it on a three by five card or whatever, to consider memorizing scripture. Because as we memorize scripture, even if it's just a phrase of scripture at a time, once you get that in your heart and your head, then you can dwell in that. Anywhere you go, everywhere you go, and I'm just telling you firsthand, it is amazing how God brings that to your heart and mind right when you need it. So again, this is the second way we move from beyond having appointments to God with God, to just dwelling in his word all day long. And the third and the last one is this, uh, to keep in step with the Spirit. So we get this idea in um, Galatians 5 where it says this, since we live by the Spirit, and Paul's been talking about being made alive in the Spirit, now that we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now that phrase, keeping in step, it means to, to advance in a line or to uh, go in a row. And the idea is this, that 
if I'm in constant communication with God, right? So not just making appointments to talk with God, but if I, if I have ongoing communication with God all day, and if I'm dwelling on the word of God all day, here's, here's what's going to happen. God's going to talk to you, right? So if you're talking to God all day long, and you're reading, and you're thinking about his word all day long, God's going to talk to you. And when I mean talk to you, I mean he's going to, he's going to put things in your heart, in your head that you need to do. And whenever God calls us to do something, we need to understand. I, I know a lot of times we like to think there are always three choices, right? When it comes, we can either obey God or disobey God or we can delay obeying God, right? Like, I can't do it today, but I'll do it tomorrow. Understand there's really only two choices. We can either obey God or we can disobey God because uh, delayed, uh, delayed obedience is just disobedience. So we can either obey him or not. So now, here's the thing. Whenever we do that, we're, we're, we're kind of making a choice. Uh, think about it this way. Imagine that you're going through your day and, and you're dwelling in the word of God and you're communicating with God and God impresses on your heart that you need to stop what you're doing and confess some sin. In fact, maybe what God says is you need to go to so-and-so and confess what you've done and ask for forgiveness. So at that point where God says, here's something I want you to do, you're either going to move in one of two directions. You're either going to do what he said to do. And, and by the way, when you do that, you will experience God in that moment in a, in a great way, in an, in, in an encouraging way, in a way that will build your faith. On the other end, if you decide... God, I really don't want to do that. Not this time. Then what you're doing is you're, you're slowly building resistance to God's leading in your life. And next time God calls you to confess your sin, it's going to get a little bit easier to not do it because you're, you're learning how to resist him until eventually you'll get to a place where you don't even hear God calling you to confess your sin anymore because of your continual resistance. On the other hand, if you obey God, you'll experience God in such a way that the next time he calls you to do it, it'll be a little bit easier for you. So we're always moving in one direction or the other. So God may prompt you to share the gospel with someone. And, and if you do it, if you're obedient, you're going to experience God's presence in that moment because you're walking with him. But if you, if you resist him, you'll be moving kind of out of his presence at that moment because where's God? God's over in the sharing the gospel side. Or maybe God will, maybe you'll be walking down the road and someone will be asking for money and you'll be like, oh, they probably live in a nicer house than I do. He's, he's got better shoes than I do, you know. And you're like, God, I don't want to. And you'll, you'll, you'll be resisting God. Or you'll obey God and find next time that it's even easier to do that. Or maybe it's to be generous or serve someone or, or talk to someone. See, when you get in the habit of immediate, of, of immediate obedience, you'll experience God You'll experience his power and his leading in that situation and, and his blessing. Or it's kind of like this. Um, a couple years ago, I was, I was going through the drive-thru at Starbucks. I, I rarely do it, but I can remember, like, you know, uh, going through the drive-thru, order my drink, pulled it to the window. And uh, there, this is a couple years ago. There's a young woman at the window, so she leans out. I don't know her. And she says, hey, how are you doing? You know, because that's what, yeah, that's what they have to say. And I'm like, oh, I'm doing great. How are you? And she says, I'm doing good. And I hand her my card. And she goes to run the card. Well, at that moment, it was like, I felt like God was impressing on my heart uh, that she's not doing well. Okay, now I don't know her. But as I, God said, she's not doing well. So when she comes back to the window, what you should say to her is, say, um, actually, I'm really concerned um, that maybe you're going through something and so God has just prompted me to pray for you. So is there any way I can pray for you? Now, as she's going to run my card, all I can think is, 
well, I don't know her, and, um, you know, and there's, and there's cars in back of me, and I don't want to cause a scene, and, but, you know, so she came back, and she handed me the card, and so I did it. I've learned God actually knows what he's talking about. So I said, hey, you know, I was just, uh, for some reason, I feel really burdened to pray for you, so is there some way I could pray for you? And she just kind of looked at me and turned around and walked away, and I was like, well, I guess not, you know, so I'm waiting for my drink, and a minute later, she comes back, and she hands me my drink, and she hands me a napkin, and there's writing all over the napkin. So I'm like, well, you know, see you later, and I'm driving off. I get around the corner, and I pull over, and all, what she says at the top of the napkin is, how did you know that I needed prayer? And then she wrote this whole thing on both sides about how she was just literally, literally going through a life and death kind of situation, and it was just, as I read that, it was so amazing to me to, again, go, you know, God actually knows what he's doing, and in the days to come, I actually went and introduced myself. We had coffee together, of course, had coffee together, and I got to know her better, and just find out, you know, for me, it was so interesting. Now, of course, the next time I came through Starbucks, and someone else was at the window, and God prompted me, it was a little bit easier to do that, right? Because last time I did it, it was awesome. Um, On the other hand, when we resist God in those times, what we find is it gets harder and harder. Like, for instance, this happens to me almost daily on Facebook. I'll be on Facebook, I'll be updating Gateway's page or something, and, 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 and this happens to me a lot during the day. God will put somebody, someone on my heart. Um, you know, sometimes it's you. Um, he puts you on my heart, and I'll usually just stop what I'm doing then, and I'll pray, because I continually pray. Now, sometimes I'll be on Facebook. This happened last Sunday. I'm on Facebook. I'm updating our page. I'm thinking of somebody, so I, I just prayed for them, and then uh, they're a Facebook friend, so I just message them and say, hey, just wanted you to know, um, God put you on my heart this morning, so I was, I've, just, I've been praying for you, and I don't know why, but I'm just praying for you. And I kind of got off and immediately got a little thing on Facebook, and it turns out that person was on at the moment, and she basically said, how did you know to be praying for me? Because I'm going through a terrible terrible situation this morning. I just need prayer so bad. And of course, I was just smiling, going, well, of course you did, <laughs> you know, because that's just the way it works. But what's cool is the more you do that, the more you do that, the more you do that, you just have this continual stepping with the Spirit. Here's what's so great. You find that God, that's where God is. And that's where you experience the, the purpose of God. And that's where you experience the blessings of God. So that we begin to move from an appointment, you know, like think of it this way. I come to church on Sunday, I listen to the sermon. I always know there's an application. I'll make an application, and then I'll go, and maybe I won't complain this week. I'll try, you know? Um, But this is different. This is where I just say, um, no, all day long, I, I talk to God, I listen to God, and wherever I am, whenever I am, if God asks me to do something... I just do it. It doesn't have to be Sunday at 11 o'clock. It could be Monday at 6 o'clock. Whenever God speaks to me, I obey. Why? Because I don't want to have appointments to obey God. I want to walk with God moment by moment. Why? Because that's the kind of relationship that I want to have. And here's what happens when we break out of just having morning prayers with God or just having a devotional appointment with God or just having an, you know, every now and then I'll apply the word of God to my life. When we, when we do that, when we say, I'm going to get beyond that, what happens is God just kind of breaks out of our appointments and he begins to invade every part of our life. And he gets into every part of our life and he starts to bless every part of our life. And, and the result of, of these constant habits looks something like this. In Psalm 84, 2, the psalmist says this, my soul yearns, I love this terminology, my soul yearns, and it even faints for the courts of the Lord. Now remember, the courts of the Lord just means the presence of the Lord. 
So he says, my soul yearns for the presence of God. My, my, my soul even faints for the presence of God. And my heart and my flesh, they cry out for the living God. So let me just say this. If, if this doesn't sound like you, like maybe you'd say, well, I was happy enough to have an appointment with God today. I didn't know I had to faint and yearn for God, all right? But if, if you would say, that doesn't really sound like me. I don't know that I yearn and faint for the presence of God. Here's why. And I just thinking and praying a lot about this this week, here's the way I'd put it. It's probably because you don't have an appetite for God. You don't have an appetite for God. See, here's what I've learned over the years, having raised some kids, is that really you develop an appetite for what you eat. So we found, for instance, with our kids, if our kids didn't like carrots, uh, we just started feeding them the carrots, and then they developed an, a- an appetite for carrots. We were laughing the other day. We're like, our kids' idea, uh, our kids right now, their idea of lunch uh, for our oldest son, who, who's got a job right now, is an apple and, and carrots, right? Now we're like, that's weird. Where did that come from? Well, he developed an appetite for apples and carrots because it's all we fed him. So, you know, I was like, that's what happens. You develop an appetite for what you eat. So, for instance, if the only thing you're really feeding your soul right now is stuff, just getting stuff and buying stuff and new stuff and more stuff and better stuff, you know that you just get a bigger and bigger appetite for stuff, don't you? It just becomes this treadmill that goes faster and faster because that's what you're feeding your soul is stuff. And that's what you get an appetite for. Or maybe it's just for a lust of the eyes. And you're just what you just keep feeding your soul these lustful images. And what happens? You just, you, you have an appetite for that more and more and more. Or maybe it's entertainment or popularity or whatever it is. But you always develop an appetite for what you feed yourself. That became like a great illustration for me this week. I was thinking about our cat. We have this cat named Cookie. She's like 13 or 14 years old. Now, for the first 10 years of Cookie's life, we had an arrangement with Cookie. We, fed, we sheltered her, and, and we let her in and out of the house as much as we could stand, and we give her crunchies and all the water she can drink out of the toilet. And that's the, that's the arrangement we have. All right, so she just, all we've ever fed her is crunchy food. It's cheap. She didn't know any better. She ate it. She's a cat. She eats like three crunchies at a time, and then she wants to go outside again. So that's, that's the arrangement we had. And then a couple years ago, one of my children, and I'm not going to say who it is, but one of my children had this idea. They opened up a can of tuna, and they thought, I wonder if our cat likes tuna juice, right? Because tuna, cats. And so the, this child of mine um, put some tuna juice in a bowl and put the bowl on the ground and went and found the cat and drug her to where the bowl was and put her nose in it. And she kind of backed up, and she kind of looked at it, and, you know, and then she kind of, after a while, after, come on, kitty, come on. You know, she finally went and drank. She kind of lapped it up like cats do, and she's not like, I could take it or leave it. I don't know. And then a couple days later, someone opened up a can of tuna, so they got the cat, and they drug her, and they drug her. And now, here's what's happened after three years of, of force-feeding our cat tuna juice, okay? If any can is opened in our house at all, she jumps up from where she is, she runs into the kitchen, does a screeching stop at the bowl, and immediately starts laughing. Now, our kids have figured it out, and sometimes they have fun. They'll fill up that bowl with water, right? They'll put it down on the ground, they'll open up a can, she'll come running, and she'll drink half the bowl before she realizes this is just washugal water, you know. But they've kind of, they've trained. And then actually, my kids didn't stop there. Uh, this is where it gets really naughty. So then they decided, I wonder if she likes chicken. 
So when we'd be having chicken at the table, they'd like, when I wasn't looking, take a little chicken and stick it down there. And what they found out is she developed an appetite for chicken. She has developed an appetite for, um, for kielbasa. She, she, she has an appetite for spaghetti. Apparently, she's developed an appetite for Tillamook cheese. Who would have known? And, and uh, the other day we caught her. And so here's the thing. You know, I noticed a couple years ago, why does our cat sit under the table? That's a weird thing. Well, it's because my kids, are, they're feeding her. They, she's developed an appetite for all these things. In fact, the downside to all this is, you know, a while back I caught her up on the table licking the butter. I haven't been able to eat butter since. Um, she'll, when we're, we're, we're done, if we don't clean up right away, she'll get up on the counter and, you know, forage for chicken and whatever she can find. Um, but here's the deal. See, my kids have created in her an appetite for these things. Now, I say that because in Psalm 34, it says this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Sorry that my spiritual application relates to a cat. (laughs) Here's what he says. Taste and see. Now, those words taste and see, it doesn't just mean taste. It means to taste and perceive. Um, It means to discover by experience. So to taste and see that the Lord is good is to discover by experience Or we would say this morning, as you develop these constant habits of communicating with God and develop the habit of ongoing, um, uh, of dwelling in the Word of God and of always keeping in step with the Spirit, here's what it says, that you will begin to experience firsthand how good God is, right? So not just through a sermon, not just through an appointment with God, but as you walk and live with God, you will taste and see and taste and perceive and, and see and perceive that God is good, right? You'll discover how much better he is than all the things of this world. You won't just hear about it in a sermon. You won't just read about it in devotional. You'll taste it for yourself. You'll see for yourself. And the more you see him and the more you seek him, the more you'll develop an appetite for him until you love him, until you crave him, until you want to be with him. You'll taste and see that, that, that God is greater than all of the things of this world. And you'll, not, you'll no longer want to have a, an appointment relationship with God. You'll no longer be satisfied to have God be a slice of your pie, right? Because you'll have tasted and you'll have seen that God is good and you want him involved in every single part of your life so you can taste him and so that you can see how great he is and you'll never be able to settle ever again for anything less, for God just being an appointment in your life. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the person who takes refuge in God. Let's pray together.